Amazing things are happening in today's world, and we're very excited about what God is doing. Uh, just a reminder that Easter's coming up three weeks, three weeks till Easter. So here's, here's a special announcement. We are, we are having five worship services on Easter weekend, five. So we have two on Saturday, three on Sunday. Here's, here's the dates. April 9th, Saturday the 9th, we have two services in the afternoon, 3.30 and 5.30. 3.30 and 5.30, so feel free to come. The preacher will be fresh on Saturday. You show up here at 11.30 on Sunday, and you might not get a resurrection at all. I mean, he'd just be, he's not alive, is he? So, so note the, date, the dates and the times, April 9th, Easter weekend, 3.30 and 5.30 on Saturday, and then our three regular services on Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, 11.30. So... Heads up, mark your calendars, so forth. I would not recommend coming at 10 o'clock on Sunday Easter. Um, you'll probably be in an overflow space or something like that. So if, if you're going to invite friends, and I hope you will, we, we suspect we'll be able to um, have a really large crowd this Easter. That's why we're adding a couple of services. We're sending out a mailer uh, to thousands of people in the community to invite them to Easter We'll be handing you some invitation cards that you can give to your friends and associates. So we're expecting uh, a lot of people to be on campus that weekend. So heads up on the, on the schedule, and thanks for the accommodation. Appreciate that. Today I want to uh, just pick up on this theme that God seems to be at work doing in our world, especially among young people beginning at Asbury University a few weeks ago. And I want to leave us today encouraged and hopeful about the future and on point, on purpose. And I hope that'll inspire us all to, uh, to, to live more effectively for Jesus' sake. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 2. I want to read a couple of verses here. This is from Jesus. He's answering some questions that his disciples have made to him. And uh, hopefully these words will be meaningful. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So thanks for doing that as you're able. Verse 21, Jesus, in the middle of uh, this response, he said, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. Both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. In other words, anything that God is doing that's a new thing, like we're experiencing in these days, a new thing requires a new container. And that means we need to bring new attitudes, new perspective, a new heart condition, a new openness. So we have to make adjustments as well to accommodate the new thing that God is doing. And that's the message we hear from Jesus today in this simple illustration of the wineskins. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I guess all of you know the name Tim Tebow. If you don't know the name Tim Tebow, I was listening to TV the other night, and a, uh, a, old gen, a young millennial or an old Gen Zer said out loud, uh, in reference to Robert Redford, she said, I don't know who Robert Redford is. I thought that was interesting. You don't know who he is either, do you? That's a, so... But I would assume most of you know Tim Tebow. If you don't know who Tim Tebow is, you know, crawl out from under the rock you've been under and pay attention. Uh, He is a bit of an icon, certainly a Christian icon in our culture. So Tim Tebow uh, sponsored 
an annual Night to Shine. This is uh, from his foundation. He's been doing this a number of years. And the Night to Shine is an event designed to give a prom experience centered on God's love to people with special needs. Tim uh, realized years ago that prom is a kind of an invitation-only event. You know, you get a date and go to the prom, and there are certain kids, special kids in schools that don't get invited to the prom often. And so Tim holds an event for special kids uh, and a special prom. Isn't that a great idea? Daniel Ritchie was one of the presenters at this year's Night to Shine. And Daniel Ritchie was born without arms. At his birth, when he was not breathing, the doctor turned to his father and asked, do you want us to let him go? Son's been born without arms. He's not breathing. Maybe that's best. His dad said, no way, let's get this boy going. That's my son there. Well, Daniel Ritchie grew up to become a speaker and author. He's earned two college degrees. He's married. They have two children. He eats, drives, and writes with his feet. He's getting along just fine. Thank you very much. Uh, he's a special guy, Daniel Ritchie. Ritchie notes, quote, these people with special needs are just that, incredibly special both in the eyes of God and in our eyes. And so he's a perfect candidate to provide ministry in such a setting. Tim Tebow, you may not know, has a similar story because his mother's placenta was not attached at the time of his birth. The doctor actually urged his mother to abort him. The doctor who delivered him described his survival as, quote, the greatest miracle I have ever seen. Interesting. Two guys... Richie and Tebow survived our culture's instrumentalist worldview. By that I mean people have value only to the degree that they have function and contribute to the general society. In our confused and distorted worldview in today's culture, you only have value based on what you earn or possess or what you, what you uh, do and how you perform or how you look and those kind of categories. And of course... It's upside down. The continuous revival services that began at Asbury University on February the 8th continued for 15 consecutive days. We know over 50,000 pilgrims traveled to Wilmore, Kentucky, a city of 4,000 people, to visit the campus of Asbury University and seminary. And we also know now a general count that over 200 campuses across America and other parts of the world had representative students from over 200 campuses traveled to Wilmore to experience the move of God there. When the daily services concluded, one student said, and I quote, we don't want this to stop. Why would we want to stop something that is so good and so pure? What God wants us to do now is to take this, take what we've experienced, take everything that God has filled us with and to move out and go with it. That's pretty good perspective, isn't it? In fact, that's the right perspective, the right attitude. And this is apparently happening. Uh, revival now is causing ripple effects, not just throughout the nation, but around the world. There are whispers of revival now cropping up in local news stories here and there, and it's very exciting. In some areas, these whispers have turned to singing and prayer and spontaneous gatherings of people. It's really fascinating. One Asbury student is not surprised by all of that. She said, and I quote, we all have a spigot to the water of life in us. That's one way of putting it. That's a turn of phrase. We have a spigot inside of us. We just have to learn to open it, pour it out wherever we go. So there you go. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? I love that stuff. Now, let me just give you two thoughts this morning. This is a relatively brief sermon. Did you notice when you're coming in today that the traffic had already pretty much, there was room out there? That's because the sermon was short. 
you're welcome. And so here's, here's the first of two brief points. So if you can just stay with me for a short period, you'll get it. Here's the first idea. Revival is God-breathed and not program-planned. It's God-breathed, not program-planned. So for all of you who are tempted to come up to me, as many of you have over the years, come up to me and say, Pastor, why don't we have revival? Like it's my fault. So look, if it was up to me, we'd have one. But it's not up to me. It's not, a, it's not up to anyone of us. It's not up to our planning. Now, there are, you can argue there are conditions that need to be met historically when a move of God occurs and you know certain attitudes, prayer movements, those kinds of things. Of course. So people have been praying for a great awakening for some time, etc. But ultimately, a move of God is from God. And it's not the programming of people. This spontaneous nature of the Asbury revival is especially noteworthy. One employee at Asbury University said, we've been crying out for a revival here for the past 10 to 20 years, and to be part of the generation that brought it into being is remarkable. It's something that no one ever expected. That's actually a good sign. We weren't expecting it that day, that Wednesday on February the 8th. There's a New York Times columnist. His name is Ross Douthat. Now, hear that again, New York Times columnist, Ross Douthat. Ross is 29 years old. He is an op-ed columnist, and he's conservative for the New York Times. He's a unicorn. He's very unique. Uh, Just a week ago or so, in his column... He cites a letter written by Thomas Jefferson in 1822. Now, you'll remember Thomas Jefferson, uh, one of the founding fathers of the United States, uh, architect to founding documents, a towering intellect, no doubt, a genius fellow, third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. You can go to Washington, walk the mall in Washington, D.C., and see the Jefferson Memorial. I mean, he's, he's an icon of American history. Uh, and obviously uh, brilliant, one of, the, one of the challenges to folks who are extremely bright is the whole idea of getting your mind around the concept of God and the concept of faith, you know, this, this, this step of faith and this, this trusting faith, you know, that, that is required in order to connect with God. And Thomas Jefferson apparently had such problems. He did, however, write among many books and articles that he wrote a book entitled Life and Morals of Jesus. He was intrigued by Jesus, his, the purity of his life and the integrity of his message to love God and love your neighbor. And so he wrote a book admiring that. Thomas Jefferson also edited his own version of the Bible. It's now called famously the Jefferson Bible. What Thomas Jefferson actually did, literally, he took a Bible And he took a pair of scissors and some paste and he went through the Bible and anywhere there's any reference to a supernatural occurrence or a miraculous event, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he took his scissors and cut them out, cut the passage out of the Bible and then pasted the pages back together, absent the miraculous, now known as the Jefferson Bible. And you think, dude, why bother? I mean, you just cut, cut half the Bible away. But
But in his worldview, he couldn't get his mind around the whole idea of the supernatural, you know, the metaphysical and the mysterious and, and those kinds of things. And so in this letter I referred to that came from Ross Douthat's column recently, from 1822, he wrote, and I quote, I trust that there is not a young man now living in the United States who will not die a Unitarian. Now, this is Thomas Jefferson simply suggesting that there's no way that, that uh, a, a specific set of beliefs uh, like Christianity can possibly continue in the United States. And so he imagined that, that the whole world would come to its senses and become Unitarian. Uh, the whole Unitarian worldview is basically um, resulting in everybody goes to heaven. We have Unitarians in our own community and in our world, the Unitarian Universalist Church. Universalism, again, is that, this concept that everyone goes to heaven. I was friends uh, years ago with, with, at the time, the current pastor of the Unitarian Universalist Church here in Muncie, and we would have uh, personal conversations from time to time. And I finally challenged him one day, and I just said, listen, it must be nice to be you. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, well you, you know, there's no pressure on you. There's really no mission. I mean, everybody's going to heaven no matter what in your worldview. And so there's, there's really no mandate for you to offer a hopeful message for people <laughs> in, in eternal life. And he says, well, you know, I don't agree with that. And I said, well, it's a happy religion. And, and I said, it's also a hypocritical religion. Hey, hey, he said, wait a minute. We were friends. We could talk honestly with one another. I said, you are a staunch social activist. I mean, you're a social justice warrior. You know, all you Unitarians are, are, are very aggressive in your, in your demand for justice in the world. Everyone should get what they deserve. And, and you're very passionate about that. And you go crazy over that. And, you know, good for you. You want everybody to get what they deserve. That's, that's justice. I said, but it, of course, it's all focused on this life. You believe that in social justice in the here and now, but in your worldview, your theological worldview, there is no justice in the hereafter, in the next life. Everybody's going to heaven. Doesn't matter what you do, how you've lived, what you've said, choices you've made, the evil you've engaged in. <laughs> the darkness and depth of depravity that you've, that you've practiced, doesn't matter. Everybody's going to go to the same place. I said, that's not just. That's not just at all. In fact, that's unjust. That's the opposite of justice. No one's accountable for anything they've ever done at any time. That's a happy religion right there. It's hypocritical and happy. Let me tell you something about God. This is, what, this is my worldview. You can like it or not. God is absolutely inclusive. He is absolutely inclusive, meaning whosoever will may come. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So anyone and everyone, no matter your story, no matter your culture, no matter, no matter your existence and the circumstances of that existence, race, creed, color, whatever. No matter who you are, you are welcome into the family of God. God is absolutely inclusive. No one is excluded. No one is left out. 
no matter what you've done or who you are, the grace of God is sufficient for you. We totally underestimate the power of what Jesus did at the cross for our sins to eliminate and eradicate all of the obstruction between us and, and a relationship with God. When we say, well, it, it includes everybody but her or everyone but him. No, no. God is absolutely inclusive in that way. Everyone is invited to the table. Everyone is included in the family. Now, having said that, this is where I deviate from the Unitarians. What I also believe is that God is absolutely exclusive. He's absolutely exclusive because the Bible also teaches, the Bible also teaches that, that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than the name Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except me. I mean. And so it's and so and so what we are left with is the need to choose. God has offered a way, his name is Jesus, and we get to choose. And you can choose to accept that free gift of life, or you can choose to reject that. God is absolutely exclusive about that. I promise you, in the next life, there will be people there missing. I say it this way. I say it over and over again. I'm not sure anyone hears it. There are going to be people in heaven you didn't expect to see there who are there, and people you did expect to see there who didn't make it because of their choice. And so you're looking at a guy who lives in the, in the, in the tension created by serving a God who is absolutely inclusive and absolutely exclusive at the same time. Can you live with that? I believe that's the truth. Now, less than a year before Jefferson wrote that note to a wide audience in 1822, just a year or less before that, there's a young man named Charles Grandison Finney, a young man, teenage boy, who goes to the altar of his Presbyterian church and has an experience with God, a transformative experience, a life-changing encounter with God. The Spirit of God touches this young man named Charles Finney, and it had a profound effect on his life. As Douthat, our op-ed writer, columnist, wrote recently, he said, quote, this experience set Finney on a path that would help bury Jefferson's confident hypothesis that everyone would become Unitarians. Toward leadership in an age of revivalism and the Second Great Awakening, there have been two Great Awakenings, actually three in the United States in, his, in our history, and the second great awakening, the tip of the spear of that great move of God sweeping thousands and thousands of people into the kingdom of God in, on the North American continents was led by that young man named Charles Finney. Charles Finney was ultimately called the father of old revivalism by the end of his life. His, his tagline, his most favorite teaching point, his most passionate perspective on life was the complete freedom that people have complete freedom and will to choose their own salvation. Even though he's a Presbyterian, Reformed theologian, <laughs> come, came from that background, Finney stood up and said, no, no, I think everyone has the free will to choose their own salvation. Praise God. I believe that too. And you have the right to choose and the freedom to choose just like I do. And the rest is history. 
Douthat then applied his point to the current context. Now let's bring it into our contemporary reality. Whatever the Asbury Revival's long-term impact, he writes, the history of Finney and Jefferson is a reminder that religious history is shaped as much by sudden eruptions as it is long trajectories, as much by the mystical and personal as by the institutional and sociological. And I could not agree with him more. It's absolutely true that God will, in unexpected ways, in unexpected times, suddenly touch a group of people or touch an individual life, and it changes the course of history. I believe this very strongly. That's why, that's why every, every Sunday, you know, I, I get up and preach, and people, and people say, how do you keep doing this, you know, year after year with some sense of passion and purpose behind all of it? Here's, here's one of the, the driving forces behind me. I never know for sure who I'm talking to. Because the next Charles Finney may be sitting in the room. I mean, Billy Graham may be in here. What in the world? Because we're all connected. We are interconnected. We are networked. We're linked in to an amazing orchestration of the purposes and plans of God. We're part of it. And one of the things that I'm most passionate about in my life is to champion the next generation. I mean, this is just what I do. When I was 25, 26 years old and I started pastoring this church, I immediately discovered that I don't get along with old people. I thought, well, this will clear up as I get older. It hasn't. I am one now, and I still don't get along with them. My own kind. You would think I would be better at this. Because I'm, pa- I'm, passionate. I, I, I'm passionate about the next generation. I just believe in these kids. And I know that God has his hand on their life. And I'm so encouraged about what's happening right now. This is very exciting to me. So what a, let me just summarize the sermon up to this point, if you haven't been paying attention. Here's the summary statement. You are uniquely special, and God has a hopeful future and plan for you. No matter who you are, you're uniquely special, and God has plan and purpose for you. So you be encouraged by that. Take that home with you. And just let that, let that settle down in your spirit. Now, here's the second idea. And again, it's a short point. If you look on the screen, you really cannot stop something you didn't start. This is another spiritual principle at work right now in what's happening. The reason movements of God are unpredictable is that God is unpredictable. Look on the screen at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you a couple of verses. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now now follow this. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
Examples, Daniel Ritchie, born without arms. Tim Tebow, miracle to be alive. The Asbury Revival are examples of God's surprising, omnipotent grace. I'll give you another example even closer to home, this church. There's no explanation for this church. There have been people trying to assign credit or blame to individuals over the last 40 years or so. There's no, it's no good trying because there is no explanation for this church and the influence that God has given us in various parts of the world except that God has done it. It's just an unexpected flare-up of God. And let me just remind you that you can't stop something that you didn't start. So anytime God starts something, it never stops. You can't, God starts it, you can't stop that. You can't stop that. Whatever chord God strikes in this world reverberates and reverberates not only now and into the future, but for all eternity. The things that you engage in that are consistent with the will and ways and purposes of God in your life, in your generation, as you, like as you, as you partner with a local church like this, the things that we do together, the fruit that we produce together, this reverberates. We have no idea. We have no idea the impact that the life of our church has had. I mean, there's no way to calculate it. It just goes and goes. Here's what, here's what I, can, I can get perspective on. We will help more people get closer to Jesus today than we did yesterday. And more people will get closer to Jesus tomorrow than today. It's, it's a phenomenon. And the reason that it is is because God, we didn't start it. Well, you know, that young pastor went out there and started preaching and then, you know, he's, he just started, or those, those ladies started praying, you know, there's a, they were praying really hard. They prayed a long time. And, you know, so it's a, that, no, it's a God thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a miraculous thing. I tell people this, I don't, I, well, let, me, let me just give you this perspective. I had a professor, brilliant guy, New Testament theologian, notable, you know, he's written books people read. Uh, he's a professor in my seminary. And one day we were at a conference together and I got onto the elevator with him and he looked at me and he said, he said, I've heard about your church. And I said, yeah, thank you. And, and then he looked right at me, just as sober and serious as he could. He looked right at me and he said, you're not really smart enough to do all that, are you? <laughs> no, sir, I'm not. That's all you need to know. It's a God thing, really. And it's remarkable. So here's what we know. If you can predict it, control it, take credit for it, God probably didn't do it. When Asbury University President Kevin Brown was asked about the end of the revival after 15 days, he wisely replied and said, you really can't stop something that you didn't start. It's true. The culture, on the other hand, modern pop culture, postmodern culture, post-Christian culture is delivering an endless stream of brokenness and confusion and despair, especially to our youth. Not good. 
And so therefore, it is now time for the church to ring forth with our distinctive message, which is beautiful and truthful and hopeful and ultimately loving. Now's the time for that. We have leaders in government, leaders in media, leaders in other institutions, and even the mainline denominational churches in America who are all telling us, follow the culture. Get with the program. We're told to get on the right side of history about various issues emerging in our culture. They try to scare us into thinking that if we don't abandon the gospel and conform to the world's ethical standards, our churches will be empty in 20 years. Really? How charming an idea. My pushback is simple. Why in the world would we join in the myriad of cultural voices that's only offering us a message of despair? You say, why is it despairing? All you got to do is look at the facts, study the science. The numbers are out. Young people are suffering. They're discouraged. They're confused. They're depressed. They're killing themselves in unprecedented numbers. Suicide rates, by the way, is the canary in the mine. This is how you know how deep and dark it is when people start killing themselves. Now we've got kids 15 to 25 years old killing themselves in unprecedented numbers. Something's wrong. So no, no, I'm not following pop culture's message. No, 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 you got the wrong guy for that. No, not going to do it. There's a better message. There's a hopeful message. There's a there's, there's an enduring message. There's a truth upon which you can stand and base your life. And when the rains come and the waters flow and the wind blows, you have a place to stand. So that's the message we preach. Deeper look at the outpouring at Asbury reveals that it has the same elements that are found in any authentic revival. People are actually repenting of their sins. That's a good thing. That's a first step. That's a good thing. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you want. You want to have hope and peace in your life? Be filled with the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. This is the fruit of the Spirit. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. People are finding reconciliation with God and with with each other. Beautiful. We need some reconciliation in our world. That's a great thing. So we're discovering people are being renewed in their love for Jesus and their hope in the gospel and their devotion to the scriptures. Wonderful. That's it. That's what we're after. That looks like renewal. Let me just add with this story. Some of you are familiar with uh, Homer's Odyssey. This is a Greek mythology, story of Greek mythology. And along the way in Homer's Odyssey, we find these seamen trying to go through the Straits of Messina. And along the shorelines of the Straits of Messina in Homer's Odyssey are these uh, mythical creatures called sirens. These These are wonderfully alluring and seductive creatures, you know, in movie depictions, you know, they, they've been depicted as very seductive in their appearance and so forth. Well, the sirens sing a particular song that is so distracting and, and so compelling that the sailors 
lose their sense of direction, lose their minds, and their ships inevitably crash into the rocks and everything's perished. The sirens, by the way, this is the, the name from which we derive the loud making <laughs> instruments on our emergency vehicles. Didn't you hear the siren? <laughs> it, it comes from this story. But there are two characters in Homer's Odyssey, Odysseus and Jason, they plan a strategy to resist the effects of the deadly allure of the sirens. And involved first for Odysseus that they would strap him to the mast of the ship and then fill his ears with wax so that he couldn't hear the song of the sirens. Jason, on the other hand, suggested a different remedy, and that would be to call on the Greek god of music, whose name was Orpheus, and that this Greek god of music might counter the song of the sirens with an even more compelling song. Maybe we call it the song of heaven. And I would submit to you that this is our task today. This is a great analogy of the mission God has set us to. We must not be captivated by the song of this culture, which only knows brokenness and despair and endless conflict. We must tell a bigger story. We must cast a larger narrative. We must sing a better song. We live in a culture where the good news of the gospel is mostly unknown by those who are most susceptible to the negative consequences of culture, those who are 15 to about 30 years old. The gospel is not well processed at all among this age group, and so it shouldn't surprise us. It should, it should make perfect disappointing sense that they're suffering for it. We're at a critical, critical stage where we must now sow the good news more broadly. We must believe the gospel of Jesus Christ more firmly. We must trust the word of God more resolutely. This is where the amens go in this sermon. We must resist the deadly sirens of the culture, and especially in the church, who want us to embrace all the failed trajectories of the world. We have to sing a different song. We have to sing the songs of heaven. We have to play the music of heaven. So let's not sing the song of the cultural sirens any longer, but let us sing a greater song. God alone controls the future of our lives. He is alive and well. He's on the throne of the universe. He has everything within his control. He is sovereign. Jesus is Lord, and he is in control of your life and mine and all this world. And we can place our hope and confidence and trust in him and his word. And if we don't flinch, If we are found faithful, we will see that God is not finished with us. He has good things ahead for us, and the best is yet to come. Amen. Could we pray for these young people that they'll find renewal, revival for their own hearts? They'll repent of their sins, be receptive to this message? That's our task, my friends. This is our call. This is the will of God for our generation. And now let's find ourselves busy in ourselves in response to it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today that there's a tangible sense of your peace coming to a generation that seems to have unprecedented anxiety. Lord, we pray for a sense of belonging 
for a generation who confesses a deep, even epidemic level of loneliness. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray for a renewed hope for a generation that seems to be marked by discouragement, depression. Lord, hear our prayer. I pray, O oh God, that you would raise up new leaders among this generation. You've always done it before. I know you're doing it now. I pray for new leadership with a special kind of humility who will manage the power of leadership more faithfully than the generations before them, especially in the church. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, it seems that you're personally meeting so many young people in our world right now with your peace, a deep sense of belonging, a deep sense of safety, or perhaps for the first time, these young, young people, young adults are finding the freedom they need to be themselves and to pursue you authentically and to experience your amazing grace. More of it, Lord. More, please. And for all of us, I pray this morning that you would meet each one of us at the point of our responsibility in all of this so that we will be, for an emerging generation, the right kind of leaders and the right kind of models for them to follow. Lord, help us to keep the faith. And Lord, help us to pass on the faith. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, the altar is open. As we sing a closing song, please feel free. We have the kneeling rail set up. Uh, this is the posture that we have right now. We're simply open to whatever God has for us. If you have a need for special prayer or just like to come and spend some time alone with God, and this is a meaningful way for you to express that prayer, then please feel free to come. Altar's open. You're free to come. Would you stand with us?